0: I want to try to answer some questions, maybe about Christ's birth. Maybe you've had some of these. Try to work on these. Galatians 4, beginning with verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, under or in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that sentence in verse four, when the fullness of time was come, that's our subject the fullness of time. So let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Father, again, it is a blessing to be able to celebrate your son's birth. We're so happy that he came and lived in this world and died on the cross. We're grateful for the fellowship that we're able to have in this facility. For a few moments now, God, give us ears to hear. Help me to speak with clarity and let your word enrich all of our lives. We're going to be grateful for that if you do these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen very often people have wondered why it was that Jesus came when he came. But To be honest, the best answer anybody really can give is that it's because it was on God's calendar for that time. We know that scripture teaches that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That is to say, before Adam and Eve were created, God the Father, God the Holy Ghost, and God the Son had decided that there would be this plan of redemption before there ever was a problem of sin. God already had the solution to sin through the death of his Son. The preceding verses in chapter 3 speak to us about the function of the law. And there in verse 22 it says that Scripture has concluded all are under sin. Romans says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, every human that comes into this world is a sinner, constituted a sinner by their makeup. It's not a matter of saying that uh, someone is a sinner because they sin. People sin because they're sinners. It's part of their nature. And this is how it happens when we come into To this world. Well, God understood that, and of course, Romans makes it very plain that any individuals that have come through Adam's lineage carry that stain within them. The only way to rid ourselves of that or to deal with it is by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in the preceding ages before Jesus came, someone might wonder why didn't Jesus come during the time of the Assyrian Empire? Why didn't Jesus come during the time? Of the Moabites, or the Babylonians. In fact, why didn't Jesus come just a few hundred years after Adam and Eve sinned? Well, I I do know this that sin had not come into its ripest form until this particular time. Otherwise, God would have sent him early. But God had a plan. Now, we think about people like the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Mesopotamian people, the oldest civilizations over there in the land between two rivers, the civilizations of Sumer and and these places. and, and, And people think of their technology and their science, and they say man was so smart in ancient times. By the time Alexander the Great came along, he started in Greece and conquered territory going all the way to India and then right over into the area of Iran, and then he died. But with all of the wisdom, some of the greatest literature in the world in ancient times was created by the Greeks. But with all of that, the scripture makes it very plain that that period of time, those individuals were considered children in the mind of God. The time frame of God. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1 again, it says the heir is no different from the servant when they're children. Servant, that word being a slave, an indentured servant. When infants come into this world, whether one was born a slave or one is a master's son, there's no difference at all. Each of them are going to need guidance and going to need to be guarded. That's the point of what Paul is trying to say. But he goes on to say in verse 2, so the, they're under governors and tutors until the appointed time. There is a time when the child of the royal family is actually going to have to take on a little bit more responsibility. So the king's children, they might have all gone to a private school with a number of other children of wealthy people, possibly of some not so wealthy people. But even though they all graduate the same, only one of them is going to occupy the throne one day and be in direct descent of the king or the queen. So in this regard, this is what Paul is talking about. There's an appointed time for people to take their position and for things to begin to change. And even though they may look the same and act the same as children, at the the proper time, in the fullness of time, they'll have to be able to prepare themselves for the work, begin the work. Well, he says in verse 3 then, even so... When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. So all of the previous generations, in God's mind, however smart and however wise we think they are, in the mind of God, these were children, in the sense that they were all up under a schoolmaster to bring them to the point in time where Christ would come into this world. And it's in the fullness of time that God made the declaration King Jesus is going to come, and now it's time to grow up in grace and in knowledge and in our spiritual life. The Old Testament was about the types and the shadows, but the New Testament is about the reality. You've heard people say that the New Testament was in the Old Testament concealed, but the Old Testament and the New Testament is revealed. So over here, we had the types and the shadows to reveal to us what one day would come, but in the types and the shadows, we only got a partial glimpse of what it was that God would provide for us. So on God's calendar then. Jesus was born. When the Roman Empire. Was stretching across this globe. When Augustus. Was on that throne. And had been in power for over 40 years total. When Herod. Was yet reigning over Israel. It's at that point that God said. It is now. When I want Jesus to come into this world. That's why that angel had to go and visit. With Mary. "Well, what else was going on at the time Jesus was born? Well Buddhism was in the world. Hinduism was in the world. (laughs) Animism was in the world in Japan. You ask the question where was God. When all of these different religions. Emerged and came into this world. God was doing the same thing that he was doing when Christ was born. He was sitting on the throne trying to communicate to people. Now they say that. Hinduism began approximately 1,400 or so years before Christ. I don't know, but that's, that's what the, the Hindu people who speak Sanskrit, that language. They say that 1,400 years before Christ, that's when they're, they're Hindu gurus yeah. and everybody yeah. began to receive revelation. You say, where was God when Hinduism was born? 1,400 years or so before Christ, Moses was up on the top of a mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. God was speaking to him. Tablets of stone. Some three or four hundred years before Jesus was born, the Buddha was going through his, his periods of enlightenment. He was trying to learn about how to live a better life and how to uh, reach a state of karma and that kind of a thing. So where was God at that time? At the time that was going on, Malachi still prophesying, telling folks about the king. He shall rise with healing in his wings. In every generation, God has had somebody attempting to speak to the nations about salvation and walking with him. So here we are now in the fullness of times. And verse number four tells us that he sent forth his son. So if God sent forth his son, then God must be in his son. He's deity. John 1 and 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among men. You cannot deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and be the kind of Christian God wants you to be. It's not enough to say that Jesus was a man. He was a good teacher. He taught good ethics and a good philosophy. He was God in the flesh or he was no one. He had to be God in the flesh. He had to live without sin and be the lamb without sin in order to die on the cross to handle our sins, to bear our sins. So, when the scripture says that God sent forth his son, right there you have that incarnation connected with made of a woman. The proof of it, Paul is saying, I believe that Jesus came into this world through a woman. Now, I've heard people say that Paul never ever talked about the incarnation or the birth of Christ. Here it is right here in verse 4. He makes it very plain. Jesus came into this world with a flesh body like you and I have. Think about that. He was born into this world with one heart, two lungs, hands, feet. He was born into this world able to weep and cry, able to laugh, able to be angry. Imagine how blessed Mary and Joseph were to be able to see that baby take his first step. Be able to nurse that child. Jesus came into this world to be exactly like us. Philippians makes it very plain. He took upon himself the form of a servant that he might become like us. See, Becoming like man, he made it possible for us to become like God. What do you mean when you say like God? I mean godly. That's what godly means, to be like God. None of us in here are deity in that sense, but but we are godly. We should be. Jesus came into this world to be human, to be humanly, to be manly. So then the scripture says in verse number four, he was made under the law. And this answers the question, why of all of the different kinds of ethnic groups on the planet, why was Jesus born to the Jewish people? Because to the Jewish people were committed, according to Romans, the oracles of God, the law of God. Jesus had to be born under the law. So he had to come through those people who had received the commandments from God. That's why he wasn't born in Norway. That's why he wasn't born somewhere in Rhodesia or over in Benin in West Africa. This is why he wasn't born to to a Native American Indian group, but he was born right there in the center of the people that were descendants of Abraham because he had to come and be born under the law. These were the people who followed the law. God started with one man named Abraham. From that man Abraham, he created one family. From that family, he made a tribe. That one tribe became a nation. And it's in that nation, through the tribe of Judah, that our Savior, came into this world. So, whenever someone asks you why did Jesus have to come through the Jews and why does it seem that like God favors the Jewish people, it's because it's to them that God sovereignly chose to give his law. He, he didn't choose the Papua New Guineans, He didn't choose the Brazilians, He didn't choose anybody here in America, He didn't choose any of the Europeans, He didn't choose anybody from Great Britain, he sovereignly chose. The Jewish people. Jesus came into this world born up under that law coming from a woman because the plan of God from the beginning was that this message would go to the nations through the Jewish people. That's Romans. So here's the purpose of his coming. Verse number five. To redeem. What does it mean to redeem? It it means to purchase. It means to buy. Sometimes because we have the prefix re on there. We'll say purchase again or buy Again, and so that that reminds us of Adam. Adam was placed in the garden by the Lord. He and Eve were told to obey. Once they disobeyed, they lost out with God in the sense of sin. Because of sin, I should say. They were expelled from the garden. The Lord covered their nakedness. And they had to go ahead and start life all over again. Now they still had a relationship with God in that they were offering sacrifices. But they now had a sin nature. Jesus came to redeem them that were under the law. Romans says from Adam to Moses, death and sin reigned. So from Adam to Moses, there was no Bible. So how did people know what they were doing was wrong? God communicated with mankind the same way he communicated with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden in the evening sometime. When he came to Abraham, how did he come? He came to Abraham in visions and spoke to him. Abraham didn't have a Bible. There was no CD. Nobody had an iPad or anything like that. God had to come to individuals individually and speak to them personally. The relationship was personal. It was not some abstract thing where they were looking up into the stars trying to figure out what the stars meant for their day or for their week. And whenever they did look up into the heavens to see the stars, God even spoke to them about the stars. He said, Abraham, look up there in the sky. How many stars do you see up there? He said, I can't count that many. He said, that's how many kids you're going to have. Your seed is going to be like that. He said, now look down there under your feet. He said, how many grains of sand do you see down there in that dirt? He said, there's no way on this earth I'm going to be able to count all that that I see down there. He said, that's because that's going to also represent the number of your seed. So God was giving interpretation to people individually. And so the, the, the way people learned what was right is God came to them and told them this is right and this is wrong. And they passed those traditions down. But as sin multiplied and increased, you see that wages of sin being death, lifespan got shorter because of man's increased. Iniquity. Then during the time of Moses. The fullness of time. Again. God chose to bring the law. And once he brought the law. Paul tells us in Romans. That the whole purpose of the law. Is to point out sin. To indicate sin. Paul said I would have never known. That you weren't supposed to covet. Or that covetousness was a sin. Except God said. Thou shalt not covet. See, sometimes people wonder, how, how is it that, that, that folks in the Old Testament did some of these things that, that we think today are just so terrible and so bad? Well, if, if, if they weren't told by God not to do it, they didn't know. It okay, takes something as simple as us believing in Genesis. That all mankind comes from two people, Adam and Eve. So somewhere along the line, you're going to have some people marrying some people from the same family. You're going to have some people marrying some people from the same tribe. But when you come to the book of Leviticus uh, and and the law has come, God's making it very plain in the fullness of time. Here we are right now. We're not going to have brothers, marrying sisters. Not happening. And he puts the the law right in front of people. And the moment we hear the law, the devil uses the the law to produce temptation. Because now that God has said you should not do this, the devil comes along and says, well, maybe it's not as bad as he's saying. You can eat of every tree of the fruit, of every, you can eat of the fruit of all the trees in the garden except this one. And the moment they heard, not this one, that's when the devil comes along and said, what's wrong with this one? That's what happens in life. The moment someone says you shouldn't do it, when you're a little kid, your mind goes to thinking, well, if I shouldn't do it, what will happen if I do it? See, the the Lord said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you'll die. Now they're thinking, okay, well, what is die? What is death? They've never seen anything die before. Leaves hadn't died. Animals hadn't died. Remember, when, when, when death began in them, it was not an instantaneous thing. It was a very slow process. They didn't eat the fruit and fall over dead. The first time they really saw something die, Cain killed his brother. Cain killed his brother. Unless we want to use the animals, they were sacrificing and offering, offering to God. But the first time they really saw human bloodshed, Cain killed his brother. And it's these kinds of people that we have in this world right now, according to verse 5, Jesus came into the world to redeem because the law put us all up under the category of sinners. It's inescapable. A person can say, well, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the devil, I don't believe in heaven, I don't believe in hell, so I doubt that there's anything called sin, I certainly don't believe in righteousness. Well, because you don't believe in that, you certainly are a sinner, and you fall under the category of sin. And it's that kind of mindset that Jesus came to redeem, to redeem them that were under the law in order so that we might receive the adoption of sons. What does it mean to be adopted? Amongst the Jewish people, and even amongst the Romans, during the time Paul was writing, when you became an adopted son, you literally became a legal son. You cannot be unadopted. That's the, that's the point. Once you became an adopted son, you, you were in the family. And that's, that's all there was to it. Now you can walk away and say you don't want to be part of the family, but as far as the legal process, You're in the family. And when Jesus came to redeem us, he purchased us and brought us out of darkness, out of sin in order to bring us in the right reconciliation and right relationship with our heavenly father from whom we had been estranged. And when someone is estranged, they're not talking to each other. You can find parents and children that will go decades and not speak to each other or siblings who will go decades and not speak to each other. Or best friends who will have a problem and go decades and not speak. And that's how it was with, with much of mankind. God had a relationship with the Jewish people. But you can see in the Bible that the Jewish people had an off and on relationship with God. But the rest of the world, they were away from God because they were following other gods and deities. And it's not because God wasn't reaching out to them. Read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They were prophesying to the nation. And we have no idea how many times the Old Testament books might have been copied and sent to different people and other individuals might have had an opportunity to read it. The scripture says the salvation of God has appeared to all men. We don't even know the processes of God's redemption and what he's been doing to try to lead people to a greater knowledge of who he is. But we do know what we have here in scripture. The Bible is not primarily about the islands in the Pacific. So you don't get a whole lot of information about ancient peoples that live on the islands. The Bible was not about folks that lived in Uruguay in ancient times. Or the ancient Mayans. It's specifically about the Jewish people. And that's where the focus of God's revelation Has been. That's not to say in ancient times these other cultures weren't important and there weren't things that were taking place. I'm only saying that God is dealing specifically with the Jewish people in the Revelation here in this text. Here, there were a lot of people alive during Abraham's time, but God was only focusing on Abraham. The Scripture says Adam and Eve had multitudes of sons and daughters, plural. But we only get the the genealogy of the sons. So God was doing something specific when He was working in revealing himself through scripture and helping the people understand who he is and the re- revelation, as progressive as it was from Genesis 1-1 right on up to the point where Jesus came, it was a dizzying amount of information people had to deal with. By the time Jesus came, there were people who just couldn't take it anymore. And that's why Herod himself ended up trying to kill all the babies two years old and under. How can there be another king? How can there be someone who's supposed to be the son of God. How can people come from foreign nations to bring gifts to someone and they're not bringing them to me? The devil was in him to try to stop God's plan of redemption. So you're adopted and I'm adopted and we're not without the love of a heavenly father. Now this is a verse that's very comforting to people if you've ministered to them the right way. It's very comforting to people who grew up and did not know who their parents were or may have grown up in foster care, shuffled shuffle from home to home. And I've pastored uh, numerous people like that through, through the years. And, and to know that, that like the scripture says, when your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord takes you up. To know that there's somebody that loves you enough that, that even if, if someone cast you aside and didn't want you as a kid, that there is a God that cares so much for you, that he cares for you. Uh, only one time that I can recall, and some of you in here tonight, I'm sure you probably have met or known uh, some of these people, but years ago when the orphan trains used to come across here, and then them families would gather wherever they would gather and just take whatever kid came off the train and then have them, then raise them as their own. Can you imagine how happy some of them kids must have been to finally have a family and not go day after day in the orphanage again? That's a beautiful thing. I had to be part of a um, black history program one time in Hastings. And the woman that we had speaking, she was, I think, the first black superintendent of schools in Omaha. <clears throat> but she was telling about how she herself had rode an orphan train and family adopted her in Colorado. She ended up growing up there and then ended up here and was just talking about the, the good things that had happened in her life Uh, being in the educational system. But for a lot of people, they they struggle with not knowing where they come from. What are my roots? Who is my parents? Who are my cousins? And to have that disconnect in your life and to not really feel like you're plugged into anything, this gives you a sense of self-esteem because you realize now that the blood of Jesus is even thicker and greater than the natural blood of your own kin. Now you have a real family. And that's what adoption is. That's what, that's what the Lord does. I heard a preacher tell one time in this church they had a few thousand people in there. And there was a family. The mother and father died. And the, the, the kids were just kind of going around from here to there, different homes and stuff like that. And, but they were in the Sunday school at this church. And one of the kids, the older ones, just just had the desire to sit down and write a letter to the pastor. Without knowing whether or not the letter would ever get to the pastor, just wrote a letter and, it, and it essentially, i just paraphrase, it essentially said, you know, since our parents have died, we haven't had anybody to really care about us, and we we, we love God, we, we love this church, and we're just going here, there. It, it, isn't, is there anybody that loves us? Is there anybody that will take us? And the pastor, he got up in church and read that letter. Thousands of people there. And he said, is there, isn't there anybody in here that would, want to have these kids and and love them and look after them and somebody on the front row jumped up and said we'll take all three of them. Adoption. Just like that. Just like that. Imagine how they felt to know somebody cares. Somebody cares. Well that's what God did for us. Even when we didn't know he was doing that for us, he he made this this plan. and Then verse 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father so he sent his son to redeem us but then he gives the Holy Spirit in our hearts in order that we will really be able to identify with the fact that we are children of God there's something in you now your spiritual DNA that lets you know that you are connected with God even if other people say "Well, you don't act like God or look like God today but there's something in you that still cries out to God and that's why we pray. We, we get into a situation and we talk to God because we, we realize we have a relationship with God. I know there are people who aren't saved and they'll, they'll try to pray, but this is different. I'm talking about when you have a genuine personal relationship with the Lord and you're connected to him by your faith in him, trusting in the blood, knowing that he died on the cross for your sins, in your place, receiving that penalty that should have come to you. And so now he's living in you and you're living a crucified life. You, you, you don't mind praying because you know this relationship is real. If you're walking through the mall or the grocery store, other people's children don't usually run up to you and call you mom and dad and start asking you for things. Unless they can't recognize who you are from behind, you know. And and, and I would assume that, uh, that 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 would be the case sometimes if people get confused, you know. I've wondered that plenty of times about the little ones, back when John and Jeff were, you know, being twins, when they get together and the babies, I wonder what that was like when they sit there and see John and Jeff, if they could figure out seemed like they always knew who John was, even when I couldn't figure out the difference between John and Jeff. When I first met him, one time Jeff came in here years ago. He came here on Sunday night, and he came here with the Brueggemann clan. I held an entire conversation in the back of this church, thinking I was talking to John. I was talking to Jeff. <laughs> I did entire conversation. He never said anything <laughs> otherwise either. I never let him forget it. I'm not going to forgive him either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when we when we think of God, let's not forget that there's a purpose behind everything he has done and what he has done is send his son to redeem us and you're connected. You're connected. You don't have to feel like you're lost. You don't have to feel disconnected. You don't have to think because you don't have a mom or a pop so you didn't know your background or your cousins. You can only go so far back in your family history. You don't need to feel like you're lost and out in the bad weather at all. You can know that God is with you. His love is, is what is, is most important. And I'm happy about that. You know, When I think of my own family, I can only go back maybe seven, or eight generations. You know how people take those Bibles and they do the family tree? I can only go back to about 1860. <coughs> See? Before 1860, it gets a little, it's a little crazy because people were being sent here. People were being sent there. People were going from one plantation to another. But what little bit of family history I know, I'm happy about it. And where I can't tell anymore, I can talk about my history that goes all the way back to Christ. goes back to David, back to Moses, back to Abraham, and back to Adam. So in that regard, all of us in here tonight, we are related because of redemption, because of what God has done. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful tonight that your word is true. And this year we celebrate Christ's birth. We can't help but think, Lord, of all of the generations in which we could be alive. You permitted us to be alive right now, and we're happy about that. Father, let us remember who you are. Let us remember your love for us because you so loved us, you gave your only begotten Son. And be with us all until the next time we get together in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, amen, amen.